Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Comics Books, the podcast where your host Lucy Dancer, that's me, talks to my favourite comedians and comic writers about the books they love. I first met today's guest a number of years ago when he was working as an excellent stand-up comedian. Since then, he's created the BBC Radio 4 panel show, The Museum of Curiosity, and along with fellow QI elves, co-hosts the hit podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish, and its spin-off TV show, No Such Thing as the News. It is Dan Schreiber. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Very excited to do this show. I'm, I, I, so I'm pretty excited because obviously when I asked you to choose your books, you had a bit of a breakdown. Yeah, this is the worst decision I've had in you. This is worse than trying to pick a name for my children, you know? Yeah. Because these are babies I've had my whole life. Yeah. You know, yeah. so to suddenly have to pick a favorite or at least <laughs> even five favorites... It's mad. It's a crazy idea. I don't know why you make this show. I don't know why. Mental stress you put on people. I know. I realized if someone asked me to choose mine, I'd be furious. So I don't know why I'm making you do it. But you know what? Yeah. You've, you've given me some and we'll just deal with those and you can feel free to relax and mention your other babies at any time. Also your human babies. We can talk about them if you want. Well, oh yeah, great. You know, talk about anything, but most mostly books. Uh, book babies. Yeah. <laughs> book babies. Let's stick to book babies. <laughs> so how are you? Very good, yeah. Um, sort of excited for Christmas because I've got the human babies and one of them gets Christmas this year. So we've um, that's that's a cool that's a cool moment when Santa's a real thing and he understands <gasps> that he can go to the tree in the morning and stuff. So yeah, that just you you revisit all these old things that you got excited by. It's it's the most exciting thing that no one had quite explained to me is that when you have a kid, you. I'm going to get a chance to go to school again. There's so many things that I didn't do at school in terms of knowledge, <laughs> learning, geography, basic geography. I'm going to get to do that again, yes, step that by again. step with him. It's a second chance, and I didn't, I didn't realize that. So it's really cool. At the moment, he's very obsessed with things that I've sort of just been putting near him and hoping he'll grip onto, <laughs> like my old retro Ninja Turtle toys or, oh. you know... I've, I've been buying him so many random... I bought him a Mork and Mindy toy of Robin Williams. <laughs> He's which not going to understand the references. He doesn't, but he loves he loves the toy. And there's a, there's a book we're going to talk about later where I've got a toy of the author of that who comes to bed with us every night now. And <laughs> it's it's great. So I'm turning him into a mini-me. Um, and he's he's rejecting a lot of stuff, which is great because I don't want him. To, I don't want to be that dad who's who's doing that. But at the same time, it's cool when your son takes Robin Williams to bed with you. It's awesome. Oh, I mean, that's a really weird sentence, but it is really yeah. <laughs> really cool. <laughs> How old is he now? Wolf is three, and my younger son Ted is seven months and just a just as a sort of um insight into how much because we're going to be talking about my favorite books today Mm. I actually haven't picked my all-time favorite book because I thought it'd be more fun to talk about a few other ones but Harpo Speaks by Harpo Marx Mm. is I think the greatest autobiography ever written so Harpo the silent clown of the Marx brothers this book is just phenomenal if you want to get an insight into the vaudeville era of America during the 1920s and 30s Mm. he gives a diary and he talks about every stage and every manager and he (gasps) talks about every side act that used to like he talks about when the marx brothers were playing once there was this act which was a husband and wife who would come on stage with a cow and they would milk the cow (gasps) on stage while singing (laughs) and yeah and they and they got kicked off the bill because no one was interested in them and the marx brothers put up a fight and they said okay well we'll take the cow people but you're out so they lost a gig and it's just packed with all this stuff and anyway um i 
love Harpo so much that my son's middle name is Harpo. It's Ted Harpo Schreiber. So, yeah, I, uh, I when I said I'm trying not to put too much of my comedy influence onto my kids, that's an obvious <laughs> fail that I've not thought to address. It's fine. Um, we haven't. We I mean, we haven't had kids, but my husband is a real obsessive about silent comedy. So we have sort of every Buster Keaton film, every Chaplin oh. film, and we had. When we got a dog, he was supposed to be called uh, Buster or Chaplin, and we ended up with a girl dog, so we called her Mabel Normand after Mabel. Mm. We don't obviously we just call her Mabel, not Mabel Normand, but she's called after Mabel Normand, the <laughs> silent film star. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Most dogs don't have a surname, so that's <laughs> that is great. Oh, very cool. Yeah, Chaplin's autobiography was on my long list to talk about. Today. Oh, was it? Um, yeah, I don't know if um, your husband's read that. It is a really interesting book. He's very obsessed with money. So that mm-hmm. kind of... There's a lot of... If you read these comedians' books who write them when they're sort of like in their 80s, they're often quite serious and they often have a sense of some pissed off thing that's traveled with them their whole life be it like taxes george carlin half his book is just tax based just like and then i owed this much to the tax and then i owed this and it's really odd and yeah in chaplin's money is a is a big thing as well but you know he came from he came from nothing in london he was mm-hmm. he was a he had a dickensian childhood basically but um, oh, very cool to hear. There's a silent um, comedy dog in your house. Yes, she's not. She's not in any way silent. She will probably, in fact, join in shortly. So tell me, your first book is um, a children's book. Yeah, I. So every night when my son and I, my oldest son Wolf, go to bed. We read a book, which is a book that was read to me my whole childhood. And as I was saying before, where you get to relive these things, I hadn't read this book since I was about seven years old. Mm. Yeah, I remember every page of it because we read it so many times. And it's a book that is called The Bear Scouts by Stan and Jan Berenstain. The illustrations are just wonderful. So this was a whole series, The Berenstain Bears, Mm. which was turned into a TV series as well in America. And because I was born and raised in Hong Kong, I think I had a lot of um, influences in in book choices that I maybe would not have got if I was in England. So I don't know how big this is here. But yeah, I don't think it is. So I knew it because I have cousins in America, and we were, I only knew that book because that was the bedtime book when we visited there. But there, so you're saying there's a lot of American influence over in Hong yeah, Kong? Yeah, as as there was in Australia as well. Mm. I think these were massive. I mean, they would be names that you would put next to Roald Dahl, even mm. though those were obviously uh, novels. These were more, half the pleasure of these were the drawings. And then the stories happened to be amazing as well. But they're also just incredibly funny. And I, when I was picking comedy books, this is a book that I think is just perfect comedy. It's it's a slapstick book, the whole mm. thing. The, the plot line is um, that, <laughs> the plot line, I mean, it's a, it's a really <laughs> basic kids book. But the the family of bears, there's a there's a sort of haphazard dad and the son is in the scouts and he wants to take off his scout friends along to a to a camping trip. And so they're like, we're going, we're off and we've got the camping book, the, the bear scouts camping book. And the dad says, hey, what are you doing going without me? I could pass on all my amazing knowledge. And so they have this trip where they're trying to make it to the campsite. And all along the way, whenever a problem comes up, they open up the book and see the right thing to do. But he uses his kind of dad uh, <laughs> philosophy about how to solve stuff and it always fails him and he falls down canyons and he's attacked by crocodiles and he he's almost swallowed by a whirlpool in the ocean and they always have to save him 
from that, but he can never acknowledge it because he's just like, ah, see, I was testing your other skills by forcing you into a position to rescue me in that situation. Anyway, it's just an incredibly funny book. Um, and the joys of reading a kid's book, again, until I had kids, you don't really revisit these kind of things, but you forget that with the illustrations, so much are left to the narrator in the room. It's it's left up to me to fill in the gaps. They give me a few words, but then, you know, I I create the dad character even more and I embellish on it and we go, what's going on here? And you can dance around every little image that's on the page and create a new story or a new character. Mm. Like, who's that? What's that little turtle there? Or what's... <laughs> so... It's a it's a really fun book in that you obviously tell the main story, but you also then get this bigger uh, chance to embellish on it and and add your own stories and and little comic asides to it. It's funny because it means my son is doing that and he's coming up with funny ideas of what the dad is. So he's sort of developing a little jokey brain as well, and it's just fun to see that rather than it being a very stagnant story. But also, there's a very exciting thing just to step away from the book itself. But there's a great conspiracy theory about the Berenstain Bears and you'll hear a lot of people talk about it and insist that it's true so uh, a very good buddy Joel Morris who is the co-author of all those Ladybird books for grown-ups oh yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the I mean those blockbuster series of comedy books and he writes for Charlie Brooker mm-hmm. and he writes for uh, Peep Show um, the David Mitchell and uh, web series and so on he says that he also believes that this is true. I mean, to an extent, he's he doesn't believe the conspiracy theory. But if you look at the name on the book, it's Baron Stain. Yes. So it's S-T-A-I-N. But Joel and uh, many, many people on the internet found each other saying, hang on, it was Baron Steen with E-I-N at the end, not A-I-N. It was Baron Steen. And enough people online have said, no, 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 it's definitely Steen that there seems to be an idea that there was a glitch in the universe where things kind of got reset, carried on, but they left a few giveaway markers to say this is not the same universe. And that is one of the things that the Berenstain Bears should have an E, but clearly in this new universe have an A. And so I love that as well. That's the bit that my son is less interested in when we finish the book and I tell him my conspiracy theory about the authors. Yeah. So, but that's, yeah, it's just a cool extra nugget. Do you know what? I was going to bring that, that up, though, because you spelt it Steen, S-T-E-I-N, on your email. And then when I was having a little Google uh, to see if I could see any of your pictures and stuff and read the old stories, I saw it was Stain. It was disappointing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I was, really, <laughs> was going to ask you if you knew if that had changed or if I had just misremembered. Wouldn't it be great now if we revisit that old message and it's an A now and the universe has reset once again. This is, this is what happens. <laughs> this is what the glitch is. I love how stressed you are I, about this. <laughs> I, really, honestly, Lucy, I was, I was for ages just, I was laying up in bed at night. I sat, I sat just looking at my books. I just look at them and, and <laughs> try and like... Yeah, which one's going to speak to me? Which one's going to jump out? Um, But I picked a few that kind of represent a whole territory in the end of books. So they aren't necessarily even my favorite books. But so one of them, for example, that I picked, which was another one on the main five that I gave you. So Berenstain Bears was one on the main five. Mm -hmm. The second one on that is a book called Tie Dye by Greg Fleet. Mm. 
Now, this is another book that I have had since I was about 17, I think, okay. 17 turning 18 in that in that period. And Greg Fleet is an Australian comedian. He did a lot of Edinburgh Fringes over here, and he was on the circuit here for a lot. And he is a guy who kind of like, I, if I was thinking of contemporaries of him, I'd think of people like Glenn Wool okay. and... It just sort of he was a bit of a badass comic mm-hmm. as well. He was he would talk about drugs and he would talk about weird adventures and then he would also have kind of classic stand up and I never saw him live because YouTube didn't exist then. All I did was basically read about him and he was one of the rare few Aussies who wrote a book about an experience that ha- they had. So Tie Dye, the book I'm holding in my hand, is a, a it's a beautiful little book mm. because it's basically the size of an australian passport so on the front it's and it's got the texture of a passport feel to it and you can see just behind so on the front it says tie-dye there's a picture of greg fleet holding a newspaper saying comedian kidnapped in thailand and just behind that picture which has a little paper clip over the top of it as if it's been clipped to the passport you can see the back of the kangaroo that would be on the australian passport just there oh, that's with the little I didn't even notice that i'll put a picture on, yes. on the website guys but uh yeah so it's it's a it's a book that just felt different as well it felt like this little this little passport of a book and the story i'll give you just a quick blurb on the back it's when comedian greg fleet decided he needed a holiday somewhere exotic and somewhere cheap thailand seemed like the perfect choice little did he realize that this impulsive trip away would turn out to be somewhat more exciting than the brochure promised and basically it's a story about him getting kidnapped and all these gangsters and his mum's credit card having bills run up like crazy and he crosses into the Thai Burmese border into a war zone and he meets Mm -hmm. a guy who kind of helps him out it's it's basically the story of a horrible adventure but it was his stand-up show he would have performed this at Edinburgh Fringe I'm guessing and he's got it on DVD it's his hour but it was transformed into a book. And so suddenly I had a stand-up whose whole act was in book form. And yeah, and as a young 17, 18-year-old who wanted to get into it without any idea of how to do it, these little heroes came out of the blue and kind of made me think, ah, this is tangible because I was suddenly Mm. holding it. It was like, okay, no, that's a real thing. And when I left Australia to come on a big, long holiday, which ended up with me actually just living in the UK Mm -hmm. for over 17 years now, Um, I took only three books with me, I think. Three or four books in total. I took Them by John Ronson, Great which book. is probably probably my favorite book of all time. Uh, I took The Good Soldier Schweck by Yaroslav Hasek, mm. which is this really under... It's, it's a non, not very known book about a Czech soldier who's in a war and he's a bumbling soldier. And, and if you had to talk about like the great comedy war books, they would be Catch-22 and this book, The Good Soldier Shrek. And then the third book, I'm sure there was a fourth, but the third book I took was this, Tie-Dye. So this is the same book that I've had since I was uh, 17 or 18 and I'm now 36. So it's it's been with me forever. One of the books you rec- you said was um, Stephen Pyle's The Book of Heroic Failures. Yeah, so if if you're listening to this and you've not heard of The Book of Heroic Failures, probably, I mean, I say this all the time, and I have had a couple of glasses of wine now, but I, I can't think of a more perfect comedy fact book that's ever been written. It's 
it's heaven. It's just heaven. It's a book which is based on a real-life club that he had, which was a club called the Not Terribly Good Club of Great Britain. <laughs> and and it kind of predates all the... You know, um, one of the things, as you said at the top, that I do is Museum of Curiosity. And mm. Museum of Curiosity was a show where the panelists were not comedians. They were explorers and they were scientists. And basically, they were the people that when I was researching for QI, I'd be reading the books of these people to find the facts to turn into questions mm. for the show. But I'd always look at the author and go, why are you not on a show? You're hilarious or you're, you'd be amazing to hear from. And that was around the period where Robin Ince started his clubs, mm-hmm. where he was getting scientists to come in as well. Um, it was very much a part of the birth uh, museum and Robin, I think, if, if you had to kind of pinpoint. <laughs> I'm thrusting museum <laughs> into that. Um, but I, you know, I feel like we were we were all part of this big explosion of kind of nerd comedy that's still going strong. Mm. Um, and I, I, I'm sorry that sounds egotistical, but I, I no, you're think good. that I like kind you. of kind of truthful. Um, but um, this guy was doing this 30 years before us, and this book is <laughs> a collection basically of just. Her, it's exactly as it says on the tin: heroic failures, people who just absolutely failed at doing something that was meant to go right. So I, I'll give you a little extract just as a... That's a really a cool cover idea. as well. It's a very cool what cover, is that? isn't is that... it? And actually, <sighs> it's um, it's Bill Tidy's cartoons and it's just a big... Basically, it's it's imagine you've done a Jenga <laughs> tower, but it's just single blocks and it definitely <laughs> is going to fall over. The idea is that this is definitely going to fall over. And the paperback actually had a version where it was crumbling stones that were breaking um done in a kind of 3d monolith and i i use that as an inspiration for the very first book that i wrote uh with my fish buddies mm. book of the year we have that same uh, i took the motif of of the paperback of heroic failures because i love the book so much so uh i'll give you an introduction to the book so okay so it's stuff like if you look at the contents page it's the worst bus service, the least successful saving, the least successful newspaper, the worst computer, the worst ship, the worst, the least successful safety film, like all stuff like that. So he opens the book on the least successful author, Thomas Nuttall, whose years were 1786 to 1859, was a pioneer botanist whose main field of study was the flora of remote parts of Northwest America. As an explorer, however, his work was characterized by the fact that he was almost permanently lost. <laughs> During during his expedition of 1812, his colleagues frequently had to light beacons in the evening to help him find his way back to camp. <laughs> One night, he completely failed to return, and a search party was sent out. As it approached him in the darkness, Nuttall assumed they were Indians and tried to escape. The annoyed rescuers pursued him for three days through bush and river until he accidentally wandered back into camp. So that's that's the least successful... Um, and then the the entry straight after it is the least successful circus act it's it's nuggety facts that are true Mm. but written i mean how brilliant is that writing as well just Mm. he's he's written a stand-up moment there basically in in his wording and he's not making jokes he's just telling you the truth that's all that he's doing but that um, does seem to, I mean, from what I remember of your stand-up, that does seem very, very similar in that you, you found these stories that were just 
completely what was the one about the languages the languages that were going out of oh only two people spoke the language oh, yeah. i remember that because it i saw it time and time again but it was always consistently funny because it's just such a wild fact yeah so the fact was there was two people left who spoke a language so there's so many languages around the world and as we've kind of colonized the planet and taken people that were sort of isolated in their tribes in the amazon or wherever you would you would ruin a whole culture because you would teach them english or you would teach them french or whatever and when a language dies we lose everything of that culture we learn we lose philosophies we learn ideas of the history of the planet mm. it's very important to preserve and there's this one language called zok <laughs> and zok that's it zok i haven't said this in so long i can't even remember it zok had two people left who spoke it and <laughs> They were introduced to each other, but unfortunately, due to an argument that they had, they no longer speak to each other. <laughs> so the only two people don't talk to each other. As yeah, um, but as you say, it's um, it's exactly that's why I love this mm. book so much. It is when I used to do stand up. That's a very good example. It was sort of telling these stories and occasionally adding a, a personal touch to it. Like, oh, what would it be like to be? Uh, the last speaker you know and then do that do that hack last speaker of the mm. language material that every comedian's got um but it would be exciting just to pass on knowledge i remember john Kearns, who i think is one of the funniest people alive came on stage after me once and he just kind of just said can i just take a moment just to say isn't it isn't it so great just learning that shit that we just learned that dan was just telling us about and what was nice was uh, uh, he wasn't saying i was funny and it didn't matter to me whether or not it was funny it was it just made me feel happy that i was able to do that and not get booed off you know just because i do love telling that stuff and that's that's what the podcasts that i do now is in its purest sense we just tell things that we love what I liked about how you um, sent me your list was that you gave everything little tags. This is a comedy book. This is a fact book. This is general humor. And my favorite yeah. was that the book you linked to as obscure books was obscure, so obscure that I couldn't initially find a synopsis for it. It, <laughs> it outdid um, tie-dye because when I tried to find it on eBay, it came up as 500 pounds. Whoa. <laughs> I know. And the only way I could find any sort of synopsis or what it was about was on someone's Amazon comment, which said, wow. this is what Andy Kaufman's suggestion. Maybe I'm just bad at Googling, but I spent about an hour <laughs> doing that. And that's all I could find. So you're going to have to tell me all about it because I know all I know is it's a fictional account of a neighbor. Yeah. So, OK, so this book, I mean, you know, you're saying they cost five hundred pounds. I I've been hunting for this book for about ten years, and and I've seen copies come up, and you can see copies up on places like Abe Books mm. and eBay. But as you say, the price is insane. And there's a few authors who have these early debut books, or they have um, obscure books that were printed by a small press, and there was only a number of them that are really expensive. Like, for example, John Ronson, uh, we were talking about mm. earlier with them. He has a book called Clubbed Class, which was his debut book. Now, I bet no John Ronson modern fans have no. ever even have heard of that book, right? Yeah. And I spent years trying to track it down. And I, I 
found a book eventually and I got it for like 50 quid. And, you know, this is a massive author. Yeah, he's got a book on his debut book. No one's heard of. This is news so, to me. I thought I'd read every John Ronson book. Uh, well, I'll lend it to you oh. because it's so expensive that it's impossible <laughs> so to, to buy. It's him kind of trying to infiltrate himself into different first-class places around the world mm. where millionaires hang out. So he flies around the world experiencing all sort of like what the high society and super rich experience. So there's a whole category, hence me giving you that category of obscure comedy books, where it's re- they're really hard to find. And if you even find them, they're so expensive. This one, for me, was the grail of it. And I only got this during lockdown. I managed to find a copy because someone just accidentally put it on Kuwait. They didn't they didn't Google how much it should have been, you know, and you took immediate advantage of them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, it's only taking advantage in the sense that they're just getting rid of a book, Mm. you know, not we all put stuff on eBay, we don't know what stuff is necessarily worth. And, um, and it's just a fresh book. It's not it's this isn't like a crazy it's not signed or anything, but it's called the Huey Williams story. And it's by Andy Kaufman, Mm. Andy Kaufman, who most of your listeners will be people who love comedy will know. But if you don't, he was a, God, the original artistic comedian, the original left field, who the fuck is this guy, uh, comic of the 1970s. Um, He used to be on SNL. He was on a TV show called Taxi. He had a character called Latka, which claimed to be from a Caspian island, which didn't exist. He had an alternative character called Tony Clifton, which was a disgusting, lecherous, misogynistic night lounge character. He was someone who basically lived his act, and no one knew who the real Andy Kaufman was. Mm. And the the movie Man on the Moon, which starred Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman, is incredible. What's more incredible is actually the making of Jim and Andy or Andy and Jim yes. on Netflix. Jesus, that's an mm. incredible documentary where where Jim Carrey claimed that he was staring out at the at the sea one night. He was about to make it and Andy came into his head and said, step back, I'm making this movie. And then for the rest of it, it was method acting. And um, wow. so Andy Kaufman died very young um, of cancer. Or is he dead? That's one of the great conspiracies Another of one. the comedy world. Yeah, he he's an Elvis. He most people mm. think because he because he faked so many things and he tricked so many people on TV. He would he would start fights and they were all set up. Everything was calculated to be a stunt, but no one knew that at the time. Mm. That they it was the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, they, <laughs> when he said I had cancer, no one believed him, and when he died, they believed him even less. And, wow! And his best friends his best friends have cultivated that because that's what Andy would have wanted, you know. So, but what's amazing about this is this is the only book that Andy Kaufman wrote. It was a novel. It's not finished. Mm. It it has been published posthumously by his family and by an author of a biography of his called Lost in the Fun House called Bill Zeme, who, when I was when I was 14 or 15, I read that biography, and it's so weird, but it's so brilliant, and all through it were extracts from this novel. And the novel, you know, as you say, it was meant to be about a neighbor who, who has a very unremarkable <laughs> life, but really it's about Andy Kaufman. It's his autobiography. He's just, he's just changing it as he goes right. along. And they've published this book without any editing, without anything that was so what what it is and i have to say i'm only 20 pages in Mm. so i've picked it as just a curiosity to Mm. talk about rather than having read it but he carried 
the book with him wherever he went it was his main project he said just before he got diagnosed with cancer that if he was ever going to be diagnosed with something terminal and he knew his life was coming to end he would drop everything and he would finish this book Mm -hmm. this was his biggest love his biggest project and so what's really nice is i I am going to read it and it's it's very boring because andy was very boring his his whole act was about being boring Mm. and making you laugh through the boredom of it but all the way through it are these little chapter headings which you think are chapter headings but turn out to be not so i'm showing to you on the screen but for your listeners it says april so there's sort of like a paragraph ends and then there's a headline that says april 12th to the 17th 1918 sorry 1980 mju and in his notebooks wherever andy was writing the next bit of the novel he would put in the date and the location that he was writing it at and they've left that in the book so you've got all these headlines that sort of say you know um the back room of caroline's comedy club in new york or the comedy store in la and so effectively it's a diary but it's a novel and it's and it's I don't mean it's a diary in that you hear about his day to day life. Yeah. It's all about the past and it's all fictionalized. But you know where he was sitting when he was penning those exact words because nothing's been altered. I just I can't wait to read it. It's a book that I just look at and it's <laughs> it is very intimidating because I know it's going to be so fucking boring. <laughs> this is going to be one of those boring books I've ever read. It's going to be like trawling through the dullest history class with a teacher who does not want to That's be like there. That's like the purest and fan. The purest fan is like, I know your book is going to be so dull and I can't wait. So we've come to your last book. Oh, have we? Okay. Yeah, we have. What, what is it? Um, stu- <laughs> You should know. <laughs> Stupid White Men <laughs> by Michael Moore. So this whole recent election with Trump and Biden has reminded me of the whole Bush-Gore era. Mm. And and I discovered a new podcast, which is called Rumble, which is Michael Moore, who has just been... It's It's been wonderful because... So how how versed are you on Michael Moore? How versed are the UK on Michael Moore? Was um, he big here? I've, so I've seen three of his documentaries. Um, I've seen Bowling for Colour. The biggies, right? Fahrenheit 9-11. Yeah. And then the most recent Fahrenheit one, whatever that was. yes. 11.9 that was quite strange i thought um yeah i think that's sort of sort of what i know about him i'll give i'll give before we get to the book Mm. i'll just give the sort of my interest in him when i was 15 or 16 you had these characters who were if you were a comedy fan you had like bill hicks who was opening your mind up to so many things like i think i heard about the kennedy assassination and his belief that there was a second gunman which which bill hicks was very Mm. strong on and his thoughts on politics and stuff and he was talking about a whole territory of stuff that i had no interest in but he made me interested in and so bill hicks was there and then you had people like michael moore who suddenly were these journalists who were making these films that were just outrageous they were telling you a whole different narrative to what you what you believed and i think if you were an adult of the time adult at the time maybe you would have been less impressed by the alternative story like but as a teenager i just wasn't party to these these ideas 
Cool. Is like Michael Moore basically was the original Borat. You know, <laughs> yeah. he he was he was showing you real scenes, except he wasn't a Kazakhstani character. He was a real human, mm. and he would face the real consequences, which I know Sasha Baron Cohen still faces with death threats and so on. But like Michael Moore's face was his face. There was there was a difference. His accent was his accent. Yeah. His hometown was his hometown. It was just so brave and dangerous. And I remember when Stupid White Men came out. This this book. And it had all this stuff about why the American election was rigged, why Jeb Bush gave Florida to uh, his brother George and how that had affected it. And then all these other chapters that were just so on point. Like he's got a he's got a whole chapter called Kill Whitey in it, which was all about basically I mean, I haven't. I have to say, like I, all the books I'm talking about today are just loves of mine. Yeah. I haven't reread in a long time, but effectively, it's a BLM chapter. You know, it's it's saying that we're we're suppressing, you know, a whole race in America, yeah. and white people are, you know, in the other chapters, idiot nation and the end of men. I mean, he was talking about women's rights and stuff. Mm. I mean, it was just a book that was so progressive, and. A lot of people say that he lies a lot and he manipulates a lot of information. It's probably true, and he probably does. He probably does mix stuff. It, I kind of, I've not looked into it enough to mm. care because I think the messages behind it are all things that I tended to agree with largely. He says a lot of stuff that I, I disagree with. That's great. I love love disagreeing with opinions of people that I love because it makes you think better. Yeah. I think um, you, this idea of holding people up as completely purely correct so dangerous is dangerous so dangerous yeah, i think it's, it's easy we all know that we're all seeing it have you chosen an independent bookstore to give a shout out to on the podcast i have i have indeed um annoyingly it's in australia so you know what let's you know. assume we have a vast network of fans in australia exactly um it's in my local village i i don't know what you call where i live um i live i grew up in in australia the main bit of my growing up there was in a place called avalon um yeah so Av- avalon is also avalon has a bit of a um a book claim to fame yeah. which is that it it is the there's a fictional setting mm-hmm. for avalon so but avalon is the basis for it for the town where big little lies happens oh yeah, so the school that it's based on is a school that my brother went to when he was a kid. Supposedly, you know, she's yeah. she, Leanne Moriarty has been a bit secretive about it. But if you're from there and you read the descriptions, there's so many things that are like, oh yeah, this is this is Avalon, and I believe she lived in Bilgola, which is just next to it. Anyway, the bookshop is in the Big Little Lies inspired town that I grew up in, Ooh. and it's called Bucacino. Bucacino. Do they have coffee? They do indeed. Ooh. It's run by the most wonderful people. And yeah, I, I grew up in that bookshop. It's where I bought and saw John Ronson's Them uh, and took that with me when I left overseas. And and it's it's a shop where you can have wine. It's a shop where local authors sit in because there's benches where you can write. Ooh. It's a shop that curates the books because all these independent shops can be a bit annoying purely if you need to go in a shop and and have the expanse of every book that you're you know you walk in and you go ah i want to get that book by this historian 
like in a Waterstones, don't have the ability. Exactly, yeah. like a Piccadilly Waterstones. It means you can just actually do the thing of like downloading a Kindle. It's just they almost just have mm-hmm. all the books there. And independent shops have no choice but to curate. So it's very important when you get to a good independent shop that the curation is right. And Bookachinos is just like, Mwah. Thank you very much for talking about books with me today. It has been a me. delight. And uh, we'll probably just hang up now and, and talk about books. So um, thank you. <laughs> that was just giving you a hang up sound. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Comics Books. Hopefully you've had a chuckle, learned something new, and most importantly, added some reads to your list. You can find full listings of all the books we talked about today in the show notes. If you enjoyed the podcast, it'd help us out massively if you could leave us a review on your listening platform. And finally, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ComicsBooksPod.com.